welcome to the Locked Room, stories from the golden age of mystery and crime fiction. I'm Martell, reading Grieve's Disappearance by Julian Hawthorne. We were four in the club's smoking room that October afternoon. The weather was gusty and inclement, and we were out of sorts. Perhaps our having been up till two or three o'clock the night before may have had something to do with our gloomy sensations. Twelve hours had elapsed since we had left the card table and permitted yawning Thomas to go to bed. We had dispersed to our various abiding places, slept till noon, and drifted back to the club and breakfast. Hardly anyone besides ourselves was in the house. It was intolerably dull. What is one to do in town at three o'clock of a rainy October afternoon after being up all night? Allardyce, the man about town par excellence, lay languid and relaxed in his easy chair, his legs outstretched, his chin on his breast, and a black Mexican cigar between his teeth. His prominent gray eyes were half-closed. Some cigar ashes lay unheeded on his vest, and the light from the window was reflected dimly on the bald summit of his cranium. Tinling, the poet and dramatic critic, reclined on the divan, his gray, abundant hair contrasting oddly with his smooth pink-and-white face. The hand with the big seal ring on it lay romantically and conspicuously on his heart. Gautry sat with his elbows on his knees and his face between his hands, the small eyes in his big fat countenance blinking stupidly at the fire. He and Tinling had been wrangling about the merits or demerits of the new Persian dancer who had been attracting the town for some days past and who was being advertised free and otherwise to a degree unexampled. Tinling had declared that she was the peer I do not say of Elsler at Taglioni, but of Salome, the daughter of Herodias. Gautry had replied that he had never seen the Herodias girl or the other two either, but that he could find no women in any ordinary music hall, here or in London, who could knock the stuffing out of Mademoiselle Saki. Thereupon fell a silence, finally broken by Allardyce. "'If no one else will, I suppose I must,' said he, leaning forward and touching the electric bell in the panel. "'Think of what it's to be, gentlemen.' We sighed and changed the position of our legs. "'There should be a by-law specifying the correct drink for each hour of the day,' said someone. "'Up to eleven p.m. at any rate. It's too fatiguing to choose for oneself.' "'You might always order the same drink, you know, like Greaves,' suggested Gautry. "'Grand Van Seck is his tipple, and he never touches any other.' "'Gautry has no discrimination,' murmured Tinling. "'Greaves had a hundred thousand a year, youth, health, and happiness.' "'No rose without the thorn,' said Allardyce. He's going to get married. Well, that's a pretty cheap article of cynicism. Even before dinner, rejoined Tinling, in the first place the girl comes of one of our best families. 
Baddeley was a name famous in the old country centuries ago and always respected. Secondly, Miss Baddeley is a mighty fine girl, both in looks and otherwise. And fifthly, and sixthly, and to conclude, Greaves is dead in love with her. Baddeley, is it? grunted Gawtry. Why, they don't amount to a row of pins. Met the old boy downtown. Ain't worth a hundred thousand. And the greater her good sense to look with favor on Greaves' suit was contributed by Allardyce. Tingling closed his eyes. You weary me, he said. She's the most independent girl I know. If anything could make her jilt Greaves, it would be precisely his income. If Greaves were poor, she'd support him. She thinks women ought to support themselves anyway. What can she do for a living? Someone inquired. Oh, what couldn't she? Anything. From keeping a dancing school to running an American railroad system. She's got genius. That's the reason Greaves didn't join us last night, remarked Gautry. When a fellow gets gone on a girl, he may as well resign from his clubs. But I wish he'd given me my revenge first. Never saw anything like the hands that fellow held last time. Two flushes and a four ace were some of them. What is yours, sir? inquired the pale but ever respectful Thomas, appearing at this juncture, whereupon we all wearily began to try to think of something. In the midst of our deliberations, in came Fred Guise, looking quite pale and haggard. He nodded to us without speaking and dropped into a chair. Just in time, said Allardyce, and you look as if you needed it. Ask Mr. Guise what he'll have, Thomas. Absinthe cocktail, said Guise without faltering. I'm knocked out. Haven't seen the color of a bed since night before last. None of you chaps have heard anything new about him, of course. Guess not. About whom? Graves, of course. Did you think I meant the Shah of Persia? Inquired Guise with a fine irony. All we know about Greaves here is that he promised to be here last night and didn't materialize, said Gautry with a yawn, and he owes me my revenge. Do you mean to say you chaps haven't heard? Interrupted Guise, sitting up and speaking slowly, as if astonishment waited his utterance. Why, it's nearly a day old. Is its father known? asked Allardyce languidly. "'What's the matter, Fred?' demanded Tinling, struck by something peculiar in Guise's manner. "'Oh, we've only just got up, you know, and you're the first man that's come in since. "'Why, good God, the man's disappeared!' exclaimed Guise, always in his characteristic low but distinct voice. "'He vanished like the blowing out of a candle. "'He was with me one moment, and the next he was, well—' He was gone. I say, grunted Gautry, draw it mild. What are you giving us? What are the circumstances? How disappeared? When? Where? Put in Tinling, erecting himself and shaking back his long gray hair. Why, I supposed the report would have got here the first thing. It's the most inexplicable thing I ever came across. Now, 
Let me see. To begin at the beginning, I had breakfasted with him in the forenoon yesterday at his rooms. He was quite jolly. Rather more so than usual, I thought. I took it for natural. High spirits, going to be married soon, all that sort of thing, you know. But I've thought since. It may have been excitement. From some other cause, you know. He talked a bit about his private affairs. We're pretty intimate, you know. But nothing was said in particular that I remember. We talked of the Ingledew's ball. And that escapade of Mrs. Ravel's, you know. And that Mademoiselle Saki, the Persian dancer, whom he didn't think to think much of, by the by. And of the gold find in Alaska, he said he thought that looked promising, and that he might like to take some stock in that, and then, for pity's sake, do tell us the story first, and we can join you in your comments afterward, someone exclaimed. Get to the point, can't you? I was only trying to recall anything that might possibly throw some light on the thing you know, rejoined Fred unhurriedly. I can't make out any motive for it myself. Everything was all right about him. Property, health, love affair, well, everything. And it's inconceivable to me that he could have planned anything beforehand to make away with himself or anything of that sort. But then it's even more inconceivable that he should have vanished involuntarily, don't you know? I can't make it out. And here Fred accepted the absinthe cocktail that Thomas silently extended to him and emptied it with deliberate circumspection. Allardyce elevated one eyebrow and hunted in his pocket for a cigar. Take your time, my dear boy, said he. We've got the afternoon before us and we're none of us curious. Won't you take another absinthe before you continue? Guise leaned back in his chair, seemed to consult his memory, and finally went on. Well, after breakfast, you know, we lay about for a while, looking over his books and pictures, and talking philosophy and art, toward three or four o'clock, just about this time, you know. We agreed to go out for a little stroll. It looked as if it might rain, and Greaves put on a light gray Mackintosh overcoat, that he'd just had over from London, rather a peculiar-looking thing it was, by the by, and a soft felt hat, and out we went. We turned into Broadway and walked on the west side up past the hotels toward 34th Street. There were comparatively few people out. I remember we passed a long file of those sandwich men, you know, with Persian turbans on and boards with Saki's portrait on them. She's at the Fifth Avenue, you know. Just as we reached the corner of 28th Street, we came across a bit of an excitement. There was a man running down the middle of the street with his hat in his hand and making good time. And about a dozen yards behind him were a couple of bobbies. Greaves and I stopped on the corner to see what would happen. Greaves said he was a fool to run in that direction because he could never get across Broadway. The bobbies thought so, too, I fancy, and it threw them off their guard. Almost at the entrance of the street, the chap turned like a flash and dashed straight at them. Before they knew where they were, he had tripped them both, sent them sprawling, and was flying up the street. Halfway along the block, there's an empty house going to be torn down. The basement door was open, and he went through it, and 
That was the last ever seen of him, I fancy. I turned round to Greaves, who had spoken to me, you know, just the instant before, and saw him across the other side of Broadway, walking on toward 30th. There he was, you know, in his grey Mackintosh and soft felt hat. I hurried to catch up with him and took his arm, I said. He was no fool after all that chap. I fancy he must have played on a football team. That's what I said, and then Greaves pulled away his arm and turned round on me, and you may imagine I was surprised when I found it wasn't Greaves at all, nor anyone a bit like him. It was a fellow of fifty, with a stubble of grey beard, a week old, a red potato nose, and one eye gone. I beg your pardon, young fellow, he said to me. I guess you've made a mistake. Well, you know, at first I didn't think so much of it. I'd been misled by the similarity of dress, that was all. Oh, Greaves must be somewhere, of course, and close at hand, too. It was hardly thirty seconds since he'd spoken to me, and there were only three directions in which he could have gone up Broadway or down or up the side street toward Fifth Avenue. If he had gone down the street toward the Sixth Avenue, I should have seen him, for that was the direction I'd been looking. But the Broadway sidewalks in both directions were nearly empty the crowd having run down 28th after the fellow and the bobbies. There was nobody going toward Fifth Avenue either, and he couldn't have got away more than a dozen rods anyhow. I should have recognized him at any distance in that gray Macintosh. It was true he might have gone into some shop. So I looked into all of them up and down the blocks, but it was no use. Unless he had dropped through a manhole in the pavement, there was nowhere he could have gone. But he was gone just the same. There never was a disappearance on the stage managed quicker or neater or half so inexplicable. I began to feel mighty queer about it, something as if I'd seen a ghost. Here was an effect without a cause, I assure you. It was as unpleasant a shock as ever I had in my life. We all stared at one another. At last, Gautry said, See here, Fred, make a clean breast of it. How many bottles of the Grand Van Sec did you polish off at the breakfast? I'm entirely serious, gentlemen, returned Fred gravely, and recollect, even if Greaves could have eluded me in any ordinary way, he would still have been heard from somewhere by this time. But he's given no sign. Whether he went voluntarily or not, he's vanished. And I'm afraid when news does come, it will not be the sort of news we shall like to hear. Gautry now poured his pony of brandy into a tumbler, added a dash of water, swallowed the mixture, looked in the bottom of the glass for inspiration, and said, I don't believe for my part that Greaves has been kidnapped in broad daylight in the center of New York. And on the other hand, I don't believe in miracles, this year anyway. What he did depend upon it was just to step quietly out of sight somewhere when you weren't looking. Probably he saw Miss Baddeley on a horse car and boarded it to join her. There's something in that idea, said Allardyce. Guise shook his head. There wasn't, as it happens, a single car passing, 
for there was a block across both tracks at 25th Street. As for Miss Baddeley, I afterward ascertained she was at home at the time. No, gentlemen, ordinary explanations won't work. Last evening I went down and had a talk with Inspector Burns, and he has put two of his best men on the case. But they had found out nothing when I looked in at headquarters just now. You called on Miss Baddeley, did you? How did she take it? inquired Tinling. I saw her father. She was not to be seen. Of course, they're all upset. I told him all I've told you. He said one thing the old man did that struck me as a bit odd. He said that both his daughter and Greaves were persons of arbitrary will and extraordinary whims. They were capable of almost anything. If one of them did a crazy thing, the other would be apt to do something to cap it. He said he had no control over either of them and never had had. But he said this last business did surprise him. I thought that was queer language to use on such an occasion. It might mean that he suspected something. A quarrel, for instance, and desperation on Greaves' part. A wager of some kind, maybe. I never did think much of that fellow Baddeley. He's a poor sort of an old dude. Where does he get his pocket money from? He's never made a cent in his life. Shouldn't wonder if his daughters supported him somehow. Takes in sewing on the quiet or paints fans or gives music lessons. Rum things go on in some of these old families. It was Gautry who made these observations. Upon the whole, said another of the party, it looks to me as if Greaves' kidnapper must have been Greaves himself, but how he managed it, the circumstances being what they were, I can't figure out. My impression is Guise should have followed up that fellow in the gray Mackintosh. I agree with the last honorable member, said Tinling. Such a coincidence as that similarity of costume is too remarkable not to be suspicious. Looks like a plot of some sort, but there's nothing to throw any light on his motive. Let's have another drink, said Gautry. What are we going to do this evening? I am going to the Fifth Avenue to see Saki, said Allardyce. Your talk about her has aroused my curiosity. I saw some Oriental dancers at the Paris exhibition a while ago, and I'd like to see how she compares with them. The evening papers had just been brought in, and I had picked up one of them. A paragraph headed, Illness of the Persian Dancer, caught my eye. She won't appear this evening, said I. It says Mademoiselle Sankey was so unfortunate as to sprain her ankle yesterday while alighting from her carriage. While the injury is not regarded as serious, it will prevent her from dancing this evening. Tickets purchased in advance will be accepted for latter dates. Nothing in the paper about Greaves, asked Tinling. Seems not. Soon after, we broke up and drifted away in various directions, somewhat preoccupied with speculations about Greaves. The next morning, however, the papers were full of the story, and though no light was thrown upon the manner of Greaves' disappearance, certain facts of interest were mentioned. 
On the day before his disappearance, it appears he had executed a deed conveying the bulk of his large property to Sophie Baddeley. This deed was not a will, but a deed of gift, simply. Its provisions went into effect immediately, and in view of what had occurred, one could not help suspecting that Greaves had prepared it as part of a predetermined scheme of action, whether of suicide or something else. And here there was a coincidence that drew my attention. The indisposition of Mademoiselle Saki corresponded very nearly with the disappearance of Greaves. She had not returned to the theater since the evening of that occurrence, and it was now stated that her absence might be prolonged for a week. I knew from Guise, the most intimate friend that Greaves had, that the latter had been several times to see Saki dance, and that he had betrayed rather marked interest in her performance. Mr. Baddeley had said that his intending son-in-law was capable of strange escapades. Was it possible, then, that he and the too fascinating Persian had eloped together, he having first salved his conscience by bestowing his wealth upon the woman he was abandoning? Moreover, Tinling, having made inquiries at the theater, brought news that there was now no prospect of Saki's returning at all. On the contrary, her agent had paid a heavy forfeit, and she had departed none knew whither. The sprained ankle was obviously a fiction. Of course, the manner in which Greaves had effected his exit was no less than ever a mystery. A conceivable motive had been suggested. That was all. The establishment known as Six Cent Sam's extends clear through the narrow block in which it stands and has an entrance in the street on the other side, a fact not generally known. For the rear face of the eating house is a pawn shop, kept, as the signboard indicates, by one Samuel Jonathan, who is in fact no other than Six Cent Sam himself. And to the initiated there is a passageway leading out of the pawn shop into the eating house. I'm of the initiated, and as I was passing down this passage, on the day after the scene at the club, I met Sam, or Mr. Jonathan, and he said, Turn back, sir, I've something to say to you. I followed him into the office of the pawn shop where we sat down. One way or another, began Sam, I hear a good deal of what's going on. Pawn shops and eating houses bring news. Now there's young Greaves, for instance. Oh, I became interested at once. Sam is always interesting. When last seen, continued the latter, had on gray Macintosh and a soft hat. Could you identify them? Well, look at these. And from a shelf, he drew out just such an English-made garment as Guise had described to us, with the hat to match. He's been here, then? I asked. Sam shook his head and went on in his terse, deep-toned way. Fella came in here yesterday with a carbuncle on his nose and a game eye. Had these duds under his arm, wanted to sell them. How did he come by them? Gent had given them to him. How and why? Oh, quite a yarn. Gent met him on the street doing sandwich act for Fifth Avenue Theater, pursuant to bargain then and there made, instructions given. Met him again next day, same place. Another gent along. Disturbance on street. Other man's attention distracted. 
Garments exchanged inside 10 seconds. Gent in sandwiches marches down street after other sandwiches. No one ever thinks of looking at face of sandwich, only the announcement on board. Thus Gent became invisible and has so remained. So this was the simple but ingenious solution of the puzzle. And where's Greaves now? And what did he do it for? I asked. Sam looked me straight in the face with his powerful eyes. Where's Saki? He replied. So they're together after all, said I, rather vain of my insight. Guess not, but they ought to be. Well, that was a queer thing to say, and I stared at Sam without answering. Newspapers say he gave pot of money to Miss Baddeley, resumed the latter. Proud, independent girl, father poor. She will be beholden to nobody, not even Greaves, wanted to support herself. Greaves objects. Quarrel. Now, if Greaves were to make away with himself after deeding property to her, she would naturally give up her scheme of earning her own living. Do you see how the cat is going to jump? You think Greaves has committed suicide? Sam gave me a reproachful glance. Wasn't I asking to bring him and Saki together? Do you know either of the ladies? Either of them? Well, do you know Saki? asked Sam a trifle impatiently. No, I don't. Nor Miss Baddeley? I haven't that pleasure. I'll introduce you to both of them. We'll go now. Great friends, always together. Who? Miss Baddeley and Saki? The same. What are we to do there? I want him to settle which of them's to marry Greaves. Is Greaves in love with both of them? That's his fix, precisely. And they with him? That's what I'm figuring on. And you expect them to agree which of them have to hurry, remarked Sam, rising. Let me get into a clean shirt and we're off. He stepped into a side room as he spoke and shut the door. I did not know what to make of it, but I knew enough of Sam to know that he, who knew everything and everybody, from a pawn shop habitué to a wealthy club man, was not acting in the dark. In a few minutes he reappeared in the garb of a well-to-do man about town, silk hat, Prince Albert coat, striped trousers, white scarf, yellow gloves, and silver-headed umbrella, not a finer gentleman in the city. We'll look up Mademoiselle Saki first, he said as we sallied forth together. Do you speak Persian fluently? Never mind. She speaks as good English as you or I do and is a very intelligent woman. To us, awaiting her in a tasteful but simple sitting room uptown, entered the famous Persian dancer. She was a handsome brunette with superb black eyes and hair. Her figure and bearing were all grace and elegance. She was plainly dressed and looked, as Sam had said, very intelligent. Now, mademoiselle, said Sam after the greetings were over, I have called as your manager to learn what you want to do. You may speak freely before this gentleman. Tell me first what has become of him, she replied in a slightly tremulous voice. I can never forgive myself as he... He's a pig-headed donkey, if you must have my opinion, returned Sam, and he's as well as such a monster deserves to be. Now, shall we temporize with him, or shall we keep on our course and let him go to 
Sam's figure at this juncture was pointing downward. Temporize with him. I'll go down on my knees to him, if he will but give me the chance. He was right from the beginning, and I was wrong. I saw that almost from the first, long before this terrible thing happened, but for my miserable obstinacy, I'd have given it up then. I had no conception of what the life was till I had tried it. It was an awful lesson. I shall never forget it. I feel as if I had actually done all the bad things everyone seemed to suspect me of, and yet, when I was looking forward to it, it all appeared good and right. I thought I would elevate and ennoble my art. But the world is hard. Well, it is, unless we take it the right way, said Sam. The best way is to find out and make experiments. I helped you to do that. You're the better for it, because you now know what you would never have believed if it had been told you. Some girls go through life believing all they are told, good or bad, but you're not that sort. You can do other things just as clever as dancing and not so open to remarks. One thing, you can make a man happy and bring up his children. Mademoiselle Saki blushed, and tears stood in her eyes. It's too late to think of that now, she said. He must despise me and hate me. He couldn't help it. Bleh! Besides, there's other men in the world good as he and a great deal better. "'You know that is not so,' exclaimed Mademoiselle Saki with a naive indignation that was enchanting. "'I should like to see him again, though. "'Just once,' she added, "'to tell him how sorry and ashamed I am, and to ask his forgiveness.' "'I guess it would be more politic for you to forgive him,' said Sam with a smile. "'However, we'll see what can be done.' And thereupon we took our leave. It was a mysterious affair altogether, and has never been cleared up to this day. As everybody knows, Greaves is married, but he married Miss Sophie Baddeley. Mademoiselle Saki was never again heard of. It is the impression among the general public that she returned to Paris. Be that as it may, I saw Mrs. Greaves driving out in the park the other day with her husband and remarked that the lady bore a striking resemblance to the Persian dancer. Guise and Tinling, however, have never spoken of any likeness. No doubt she must have looked very different in her Persian costume from what she did in the plain American dress that she wore when I saw her. Please join me next time for more intriguing investigations here on the locked room. Until then, beware of footsteps in the dark.